Shelley Lawrence is the founder of Schoolhouse Collaborative and has spent her entire career helping families and professionals navigate the learning of their children. In this conversation, she chats with us about what to do to establish collaboration with professionals and parents, how to not look at a deficit-based models for learners, why and how to get curious, and the importance of being honest and receptive to feedback. She also provides her framework for how to know if your learner is in the right school and the importance of trusting your gut as a parent and professional. To support the work that we do here at Learn Smart podcast we would love it if you would head on over to patreon and support us we offer two levels of patreon and our website for patreon is www.patreon.com slash learn smarter podcast with a ten dollar a month donation we grant you early access to all our episodes and at a five dollar a month donation you also get behind the scenes conversations extras, bonuses that we don't release anywhere else. And of course, if you're at the $10 a month level, you get access to all that $5 a month content too. And if you are just looking to join Patreon, no worries. Everything is there and ready for you. So you can go back and scroll at all the wonderful goodies. Now let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 212 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we have with us Shelly Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast, Shelly. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you on. I've been wanting to do this episode with you for a while, so I'm happy that we finally got it scheduled. Me too. (laughs) So we like to let our audience know who you are and what you do and who you do it for. So can you introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Shelby Lawrence and I call myself an educational coach and consultant. So there's two sides to my practice. I do some coaching with educators in a school setting and I also work for families and I like to say that I'm the quarterback of their team. So when kids are maybe meeting some challenges at school and families have a neuropsych evaluation, I'm the person that helps families prioritize recommendations, get families connected to fabulous people like Rachel and Stephanie. I help interface with the school to see what's working, what isn't. And I really help families evaluate school placement. Which is what we want to talk about today. You have extensive experience being in the school setting. So before we kind of dig into the school placement question, I am curious, you've collaborated with all sorts of practitioners and teams over the years. What to you are the signs of a really effective collaboration with outside professionals? Like you're in the school setting. What do you want from us? I have my ideas, but what do you want? So that's a really great question, Rachel. You know, I was a lower school director at an independent school in Los Angeles for 20 years. And I really took this team approach when it came to students who needed support, needed maybe even extension. You know, sometimes gifted learners need something special. Mm -hmm. And I used to say with like the child at the center of the table, that everybody was involved in doing what was best for the child. 
that included the school, that included outside professionals, and that included the parents as well. And that as long as we were focused on what was good for the child, our work was really easy. And I valued open communication from each constituency. So knowing really clearly what the educational therapist or the occupational therapist was doing. Mm -hmm. Also knowing what the classroom teacher was doing and are they upholding their end of the bargain? Like if they're supposed to give a child extended time, they need to be doing that. And if they're supposed to be, you know, modifying assignments or giving kids extensions in some areas who need extended learning, they need to be doing it and really holding each member of the team accountable. I love that. Which I is do why too. I always loved collaborating with you because I knew that when you said something was going to happen, it was going to happen. I, you were going to follow up and make sure that everybody was doing it. Yeah. It's really about the child. And if you come from a perspective that every child can learn and they can, they just need the right setting and the right support. So that is our big philosophy that every child can be successful. And when they're not meeting expectations, we have to get curious and figure out why and put the proper team in place and the proper accommodations in place for them so that they can grow and be the fantastic learner that they have the potential to be. It's critical. You have a kid with a really messy desk. They can't say to you, oh, I have trouble with organization or I have trouble with executive functioning. We see their behavior. We need to dig in and figure out what's going on. Right. It's our responsibility as the adults. Yeah. I'm curious, coming from your background, what really sparked in you to like transition into this realm in education? It's a couple things. Number one, you know, as everyone knows, COVID was really brutal. And I was fortunate enough, you know, I was at Sinai Akiba Academy for 30 years. Wow. And that's, that's a, long a time. really long time. 20 years as a lower school director. That's a very long time. And I just decided that I needed to be able to be present for my parents, my kids, my husband. I just wanted more agency in my own life. And I felt like 30 years was the right round number. And this was really the part of my job that I loved the most. I love working with families. I love being a detective mm. and sort of figuring out mm. what kids need. I just believe passionately that all kids can learn and we just have to figure it out. And I love working with people like you and bouncing off ideas and seeing, okay, you know, the educational therapist is going to do X. The school is going to do Y. The occupational therapist is going to do Q. What's working? Like, where do we see the change? How do we monitor that? And it was really my favorite part of my job. So I decided to keep it. I love that. How are parents coming to you? What are the types of parents that you like working with so our audience can know? Yeah. And are you just local to LA or are you... You know, you talk about the blessings of the pandemic. Zoom yeah. allows a lot of flexibility. I actually was just talking to someone in New York who was complicated situation, but looking and considering what their child needs in terms of a school placement, because their current placement is not working. And we discussed that. Well, I would say my zone, our kids 
who are families with a child who might be having some trouble accessing the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're thinking about getting a neuropsych evaluation and working with them to connect them with a really good neuropsychologist. We're so lucky. There's so many in LA that are fabulous. Mm-hmm. And if families aren't sure if the neuropsych is the right next step, you're the right person to have that conversation with. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes that isn't needed. Sometimes, you know, getting someone connected with you and Stephanie is really what they need. I feel like you're the recruiter. <laughs> I'm both. I'm the recruiter and the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. It's like the athletic director. <laughs> athletic director. There you go. Yeah. And then it's really working with parents who want a partnership Mm -hmm. and really are seeking to have transparency. It doesn't mean you're going to tell the school all your dirty laundry, but it's about being open and honest and being willing to collaborate. And I really like coaching families about how to do that. Yep. And so do you coach the whole family or are you just coaching the parents? It's the parents. But when I say family, it's the parents. It definitely goes down to the child, but just wanted to clarify and make sure that you're coaching with the parents. I'm coaching with the parents and it's really things around how do you want to show up at this meeting? Mm. What do you want to convey? How do you want to be curious about what's happening at school? So it's all about fostering the conversation. In addition to those questions, what are some of the other things that parents should be thinking about when they already have the school meeting set on the calendar? What are some of those questions that you coach them to think about prior? That's a really great question. So a couple of things I want them to really consider is how they want to show up first and foremost, and then really being clear about asking what's going well. Mm. I think we sometimes fall into the mindset of, oh, I only want to know what's going wrong, but that's really misguided. Every child, every human being has strengths. And it's really important that we as the team supporting the child recognize those strengths, celebrate those strengths, and leverage those strengths. And then where are some areas that the child is still striving? I would want the family to ask for some work samples that would show, how do you know? Some testing data. Have they done a running record? If a child's struggling to learn how to read, have they done a running record? If there is a behavior plan in place, what does that data look like? What do we need to be doing differently? It's a lot different when you are working with a private school versus a public school. Do you ever work with public school parents? Yes, I do. I know the local public schools very well, have experience in them both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And I welcome public school families to my practice. Right. And I have lots of experience navigating the IEP process. There you go. Exactly. So here's my question. So a lot of parents don't realize that your home school might not be the right fit within the district. Correct. Schools do different things within a district. Like down here, local districts are a little bit different and they're all right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So you could actually switch districts. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. But also within a bigger district, you can apply and go to different schools within the district. 
right? And I think that people don't know that. You don't have to stay at the school down the street. Yeah. If your child is in need of certain, I don't know, speech and language services and school X might not have those services, school Y might be able to, and your child is entitled to a free appropriate educational plan, they're guaranteed. So sometimes you might need the help of an advocate to get those services. It's really important that you have your IEP, that you make sure that it has all the services in there that your child needs and that they're actually getting those services. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk about privilege for a second. I think we in LA and the community in which we all work tend to work with parents who are comfortable advocating to a certain extent Mm -hmm. and used to telling authority what they need and what they think. And that is also something that if families aren't as comfortable, you would be able to coach them through that as well. A hundred percent. Even if you're used to advocating for yourself, it is really sometimes a daunting task to meet in those IEP meetings. And I've been with families many, many times who have been hesitant to ask for what their child really needs and wants and what they want for their child. A hundred percent. Good. So let's have the larger conversation that we were initially scheduled to have, which is one of the questions we get asked on discovery calls all the time. How do we know if this is the right school for our kid? So Shelly, what are some of the things that we should be looking for? So there's just some basic things. Does your child walk into school every day and do the people or the adults in that environment help your child to feel known and cared for? Mm. That's the bottom line. If that isn't happening, there is a big problem. That means that the teacher really knows your child, not just as a learner, but as a person, what is he or she interested in? Do they connect with you as well? Because parents, especially of elementary school kids, you're part of the package. Mm-hmm. I call that low-hanging fruit, feeling known and cared for. Does your child have friends? Do they come home and say that they had someone to play with? They feel like they can make connections with other children in the environment. Does the school, teacher, administration see not only the areas that your child is striving in, but also see and celebrate those areas of strength? Mm. Because, you know, if you have a nine-year-old that's really struggling in school, and let's say they may have ADHD, and all they hear all day is, sit down, sit down, sit down. It can send a really harmful message to the child. And this is very early in their learning experience. Yeah. And then I would say, is the school willing to partner with you? And that's what it comes down to. If they're not willing to sit down and work with you as parents, because as a parent, you're really your child's advocate. Mm -hmm. Your eight-year-old can't go in there and say, you know, hang on a second. Mm -hmm. This way you're teaching me how to read. Nah, it doesn't work for me. I need Orton Gillingham. Yeah. Or I have ADHD. 
Now, I have ADHD and I really need preferential seating and I need someone to set a timer. They don't know that. It requires the adults in the environment, both parents and teachers and administrators to help. Yeah, to help. What I love about that framework that you just provided on this topic is that it's almost entirely child-centered and it's not about the academics. And I think that's where we get lost. Sometimes parents are just looking at that academic component and we always say, are they happy? Yeah. Do they want to go to school? Do they want to go to school? Do they have friends when they go there? If those things are aligning, a school change should be the very last thing that we do for them. Yeah. We have to have exhausted every option to really get to that point. And usually that's a starting off point for a lot of families, but it's a big deal to change schools. It is a big deal. And I also think that children have the right to an environment where they can learn. Yeah. And if it is a complete mismatch and they're going to school every single day and feeling like they're not learning, mm-hmm. that's not good either. Right. There are kids that are having a lot of behavioral challenges that I've seen because they are bored. Yeah. And it looks like it might not really be clear why things are happening until you really dig deep and see that the curriculum is too easy for some of these kids. Exactly. Just because you struggle. There was a little boy that I had the honor of working with from the time he was in kindergarten till fifth grade. Really a special kid. Brilliant in math and science reading and writing were areas a struggle for him. Yeah. And now he wasn't so much of a behavior problem, but once we had that neuropsych evaluation, we were able to look at it and say, oh, wait, we're going to have our advanced learning teacher work with him in certain areas like math. And he would get support both in school and out of school in those language-based areas. You know, that transformed him. And that's why I say really understanding both a child's strengths and weaknesses is really important. If we just look from a deficit base, it's not fair. And I think as parents, just staying with the sports analogy, as a parent, you have to like put your bat down and hit that ball. Even when it's hard for your child, maybe it means you need to switch schools because they're not learning well in one environment. It might be hard for you and maybe it will be hard for the child in some parts, but if their needs are going to be met and they're going to learn and make friends, we need to put ourselves aside and do what's best for kids. Just want to piggyback on that, especially in LA, there are a lot of legacy families. The parent went to such and such school and want their child to go to the same school or they have multiple children in the same school and one of the children is not a match for that school. And Mm -hmm. that's a death of a dream, I'm sure, for a lot of parents and very hard to face. You know, my brother and I went to different schools. I don't think that most of the people, my friends, unless they really, really knew me or my classmates knew I had a brother Mm. because we didn't go to the same school and he and I had different needs. So as much as my mother was sitting there saying, oh, I have two different schedules and all of this, 
it wasn't a match. Really fair is about everybody getting what they need. Yeah. Not everybody getting the same. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin will always say fair is not always equal. Yeah. We say it all the time here. So we don't often have people who were former school administrators on the podcast. So I wanted to ask more about what are some of the things that you appreciated from parents who were super collaborative in these meetings when they were talking to their kids and then some of the challenges too, because I know some of the challenges that I experience when there's, I'll just be honest, to work with us at our practices we don't accept redacted reports. We want everybody to sort of have the same information and you can't just give a component to one person and not tell the other. It's too hard. So what are some of the things that you've appreciated and struggled with maybe? Okay. So appreciate it. Let's start with the positive. Mm -hmm. I appreciate parents when they really are working hard to do what's best for their child. It's really moving for me. Parents who are open and honest, and have realistic expectations for their children, where it's about their child and not about them. To your point, Stephanie, where they don't have this fixed mindset, my child's going to go to X, Y, and Z schools. Mm -hmm. All of my children are going to X, Y, Z schools. Exactly. People with open mindset and really making it about their child and not about them, a pleasure to work with. Yes. Parents who said, oh, we're going to do X or we make a suggestion. Oh, sure. And we do it with an open mind and be willing to say, okay, it's all about approaching it with curiosity. Let's just see. I wonder what will happen. Yeah. The let's just try it is the biggest thing I feel like. Yes. And the receptiveness to that coaching. And we as a therapist don't always know. We might use the same strategy for 10 kids and it works for nine. Exactly. But there's that one kid and we have to pivot and figure out exactly how to reach them. Also, if a school is really willing to try and they might not get it right right away, but if they're willing to keep trying, that says something. Yes. And really parents, you know, if you say you're going to do it, please do it. Mm -hmm. Please do it. If we say reach your child every night, and I don't mean literally every night, but you know, it's really important. I think the things that were hardest were, to your point, Rachel, redacted reports mm -hmm. killed us because then we were operating with one hand tied behind our back. Correct. Stopping services without telling us mm -hmm. or else not going to educational therapy or occupational therapy, whatever, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And just not really being honest with us. <laughs> Sometimes parents aren't ready for some things. I get it. I'm a mom too. Right. I'm a mom too. And there were some things with my kids I wasn't exactly ready for. So it's that openness and that honesty mm -hmm. that makes such a big difference. The other thing is if we're recommending educational therapy, don't go get a student from UCLA to be a tutor. <laughs> it's maddening. It really is. 
I cannot tell you, Shelly, how many kids mm-hmm. have a homework helper or a tutor from UCLA, particularly at the school you were working at. And then they come to my practice and you guys have been saying, like, you need to level up and it's a lot of money and time wasted Yeah, if there are skills that need to be built. Because you would tell them, hey, just go get someone from a homework support if that's what would benefit. <laughs> Certainly. A homework helper can be a great thing to have if you want to be out of that conversation with your child. Correct. One of my kids had a homework helper for a long time because I didn't want to be part of that battle. Fair. But that is not educational therapy. No. And neither is a tutor. It is a completely different thing. It's like... Preach. (laughs) Let's say you want to remodel your kitchen and... You decide, eh, I don't need an architect. I'll just yeah. have someone whip up the plants. Yeah. My friend's sister. Yeah. <laughs> my, my friend's, friend's daughter sister. is going to come yeah. over. <laughs> my friend's dog. And just draw up the plants. Yeah, it's no big deal. It doesn't need training. Yeah. I hear you on that. I agree with you. I'm sure listeners of our podcast can understand why Shelly is so aligned with us. You just use a lot of the terminology that we use all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to make sure we talk about? My advice would be, if you're concerned about your child, go with your gut. Yes. I cannot overstate that. If you are noticing things at home, your child might be saying, I don't want to go to school. I want a different school. Something is going on. Mm-hmm. Go with your gut. Trust it. The tummy aches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trust it and reach out to the school. And even if the school says, oh, no, everything's great at school, it doesn't negate what your child is saying. Mm. It's really tricky. All parents have been to school, so they think you've had experience with school, so you think you know education. Mm. Trust the professionals. Mm. Trust the professionals. That includes the teacher, the administrators, the educational therapists, the occupational therapists, trust them. There's no reason to make the recommendation or say something that directly benefits us in terms of the work that we do. You know, ed therapy can stop for a variety of reasons, but if we are saying this is what we are seeing and this is how your child would benefit, trust that we have more experience dealing with this particular nugget. Yeah. I always say you're the expert on your kid, but we're the expert on learning and what we do. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got to like collaborate and stay in your lane and listen to feedback and have coachability on both sides. It has to be a back and forth. Yeah. And if you as the parent are feeling that, gosh, you're noticing something with your child's learning, whether it's their reading or how they approach math, or their language, go to the school, ask, get curious about what is happening in school and stand your ground with it. Really stand your ground. And on the flip side, be open to honest feedback from the teachers. It might be hard sometimes to hear honest feedback, but it's to the benefit of your child. Yeah. I think that's the perfect place to sort of mm-hmm. wrap up. So Shelly, if people want to get in touch with you yeah. and work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a website, which is schoolhousecollaborative. 
gmail.com and you can email me um, Shelly at schoolhouse collab C-O-L-L-A-B dot com. Perfect. And spell your name, Shelly, so people know. S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Perfect. Now, will you do our signature sign-off? Yep. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. week.